and welcome to this week's episode of Conversations on Conversations, where each week we explore a topic to help us have more powerful conversations with ourselves and with each other. I'm your host, Sarah Nell Wilson, and joining me this week is my colleague, Dr. Teresa Peterson. You may, you may uh, be familiar with her name, either through our work together or our early episode where she interviewed me and we had a good conversation around how do we have difficult conversations. But this week, I've invited her back so that we can explore the very important topic of learning, whether that's from an organizational perspective, whether that's from an individual perspective. But so we're going to explore a lot related to how do we actually learn, what are traps that we fall into, and how we can be much more intentional in building the habits that we want. So a little bit about my colleague, Dr. Teresa Peterson. She is the Director of Learning and Development for our company, Cyrano Wilson Incorporated. She is passionate about applying best practices to learning to make development experiences meaningful, engaging, and accessible for all types of learners. In her role, Teresa creates powerful learning content and guides deep research. She holds a doctorate in education from the University of Northern Iowa and brings over 20 years of experience teaching, facilitating, and leading. She is trained in immunity to change and currently getting her certification in appreciative inquiry. Our clients love her grounded energy, her depth of thought, and her ability to listen deeply. Teresa Peterson, welcome to the show. Good morning, Sarah Noel Wilson. <laughs> I'm happy, you know happy morning hello happy happy morning indeed um so you know full disclosure for people we are recording this on an early Monday morning and so I can already tell my voice is a little raspier than it normally <laughs> is but that's okay I you know when I was actually I was I was reading your bio tree so there was I started to have this flood of all the things that you know, like, uh, that's sometimes people get wrong about it. So I'm going to take a quick note about learning, uh, you know, things like there's, you know, some people are, I learn by hearing, I learn, right, instead of, mm. so we're going to cover all of that. Yeah. Teresa, what, what else would you like people, our audience to know about you? What else? I enjoy gardening, and am working on enjoying training my dog. <laughs> 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 who, as, as your trainer said, will be a really great dog in a year. <laughs> in a year, yeah. In a year. So in approximately 360 days. So that's, that feels like the <laughs> blink of an eye. <laughs> Not counting down the days at all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so talk to us about your journey, because we didn't get into this on our first episode. Oh, yeah. And I actually don't even know if if we've talked about this in our exploration. So just for for perspective, for those of you who are listening, um, you know, Teresa, our journey was has <clears throat> has definitely been one of evolution. Um, yeah. She joined, you know, was one of the earliest team members to join the company and joined from a, an executive administrative assistant perspective, um, you know, was in a place of focusing on raising her young ones and wanted something to do. And then I realized that she had all this experience and it was like, why am I having you... <laughs> organized shelves when I we clearly could have organizing shelves. <laughs> I, know, I mean, that's just, true. <laughs> just for everyone listening, if you have a shelf to organize, please reach out. <laughs> I do love that. And yeah, and 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 then it just the um our partnership grew from a, yeah. a thinking partnership of getting you more involved and now now I mean basically most of our clients you're working with in some capacity or supporting whether it's directly or, or from behind the scenes. 
What what was let's start back from the beginning of your journey of what was your journey into becoming a teacher, you know, mm-hmm. and and, mm-hmm. um, and 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 give us some highlights of what your career has been over the last couple of decades to where you are now. Yeah, so so my journey to becoming a teacher the, in education, there um, there are kind of two paths people take and one is. You just come out of the womb wanting to be a teacher, you know, like you, you didn't even consider any other paths. You're just called to it. And the other is, you know, you, you find out later down the road, you like young people or you, you know, love those light bulb moments kind of thing. And I'm definitely, uh, the first batch mm. of people. I just loved it from the beginning of my life, <laughs> from the beginning of time. So, um, I was always, uh, I loved playing school. I mean, I was teaching absolutely no one in a room by myself when I was seven. <laughs> you know, just I wanted an overhead for Christmas. I never got one, just <laughs> for the record. But um, I tried to make my own overhead. This is a story you probably don't know about me, Sarah, no. in our three and a half years. I tried to make my own overhead with um, somehow I had gotten a few transparencies. <sighs> Maybe my teacher just took pity on me. <laughs> so I had some transparencies and a couple overhead markers. And then I got a couple of mirrors and a flashlight because I studied even the overhead in school, wow. but um, it didn't work. Just, just so <laughs> you know, it never worked. But um, yeah, so I also feel like I just enjoy working with all age groups. You know, sometimes mm. you hear someone say kindergarten is my favorite or it's the bane of my existence. And I just love kind of all the different ages and stages of learning. So um, I taught social studies. I worked in a collaborative social studies and special education support classroom. Um, I worked solely in special education in grades five through eight uh, Mm. for a year. That was exciting. I learned a lot about just young people and life (laughs) through their eyes. Um, And then most uh, most recently, I worked with high school students, primarily junior seniors, but even high schoolers who hadn't finished and were maybe 20, you know, and on a very different life path we were trying to re-engage. Um, and then probably, you know, my favorite would be the last couple of years when I was working in Des Moines, I was in a program called the Teacher Academy. So nurturing mm-hmm. high schoolers who wanted to become teachers, helping them start seeing learning and seeing school through a different lens, you know, stepping outside just their student lens. That was really fun. Very fun for me, very rewarding. And then I still adjunct at Simpson. So working with college students who want to be teachers. So, uh, so, so yeah, so I wanted to, you know, there's always that moment when you realize time is kind of ticking and I wanted to be with my kids and, uh, a mutual friend uh, or business, you know, partner for you, uh, Bridget said, "I think you two should meet. I think you could really find something that that works for both of you." So, so then and I was organizing shelves. No, it, wasn't. <laughs> well, what, it was way what, more than that. No, but. <laughs> no, it definitely was. There, there was a moment in our interview where you went, "You don't have processes, and I can create processes." And your eyes got real big, and I was like, "Is that your thing?" Because I need that to be someone's thing, because it's not my thing. So 
as our journey evolved, right, in realizing your background in learning, then then we started to go down this path together of being more of a thinking partner and now a full-on mm. research and facilitation partner. So since mm-hmm. today we're exploring learning, mm. uh, which is something we all do, whether we're conscious of it or not, but can be really powerful when we're much more intentional about it. You know, I wonder, I, I wonder if we start from the place of just and this is going to be a, like a big question, but I think okay. you'll be fine. What is learning? Like how, do, how <laughs> you like that big, but like how, yeah. you know, how can, how can people think about learning differently than just something that happens to you? Because one of the things that among many things that you've brought to the work that we do is this idea that learning has to be earned by the learner. Mm. Yeah, that is a big question. You know, I, I think something I think something I see often that people is a misunderstanding about learning is that people have this idea that it only happens under certain conditions. Mm. And that might be true to an extent, but your brain is wired for learning. Your brain is a learning machine, right? And so it doesn't need... Um, you know, to be sitting in a desk, participating in a, an online course or um, sitting in a certain environment to be learning. Your brain learns all the time. And so, you know, something I've been thinking more and more about uh, in our work with clients and just with organizational learning as a whole is how do you embed learning and the practices of learning into the everyday experience? Mm. Because the one thing uh, to your to your point of what you mentioned, if anyone listening knows Wiggins and McTie and Wiggins, rest his soul, I can't say his name without like touching my heart and just like mm, Grant Wiggins. They really pushed my practice forward and my understanding of of learning, my understanding of the job of the teacher. Mm. Uh, they really pushed me forward. I had the pleasure of seeing them in person a few times and uh, just. like a kid in a candy store. You know, I was, it was magic for me. Um, But this idea that understanding must be earned by the learner, you know, we can't just inoculate people with new understanding, which is one of the biggest misunderstandings uh, of learning that we see too, is people came and they sat and they received it. And now what? They can't do it when the, when the stakes are high. Um, or, and, you know, the flip side for the learner is when you believe you can just sit passively mm. and just receive all the knowledge and wisdom that comes from someone who practices regularly, um, it's just a recipe for disappointment or frustration. You know, sometimes mm. we see people who feel like, oh, I just haven't quite gotten the hang of that yet. But learning to do uh, and to do when the stakes are high takes a lot of practice. So I think in, in, in the increasingly fast, you know, societal pace, sometimes learning feels uh, like a slow, a slow boil, a slow burn, because our, our brain is wired to, to learn in an ongoing way. You know, it doesn't, only the most painful lessons are learned at the pace of a lightning strike, right? Mm, Like you mm. only learn something very quickly that is extremely painful because your brain's like, whoop, let's get that wired in right away. I will not be doing that again, right? 
But but the, the more exciting but perhaps mundane things to your brain are just going to take time. It's a, <laughs> I mean, that's something that, you know, and, and the goal isn't how do we create a lot of pain in, <laughs> in our learning <laughs> yeah. experiences. So I want to be clear that people aren't right. walking away with like, oh, okay, so let's no. just like publicly humiliate <laughs> is, people or do whatever. Like, that no, is that's definitely not. <laughs> not how learning would occur. Right. That would be the opposite. Yeah. But yeah, but to understand that sometimes, but, but sometimes there does need to be some discomfort and heat. And one of the things that because of the work we do, especially around um, navigating conversations, whether that's having difficult conversations or conversations that are uncomfortable, whether that's uh, working with leaders to develop their coaching skills, whether that's yeah. rethinking, mm-hmm. you know, how do we talk about change is um, it. it a lot of that just takes repetition and practice. And and one of the one of the big, big things that we we hear is people will say things like, "Well, you know, we we attended this training on crucial conversations, and nobody's doing it." And you know, and and to echo that point you're making is that well, to to do it in a safe environment isn't the same as when the stakes are really high, and and which is why it's so important to make sure that we're reflecting and having space to like prepare for those moments. And then we can debrief Mm. afterwards and we can make those connections. I know a concept that, that, you know, we've coined orbital learning in our work um, Mm -hmm. has become a really important foundation. And I would love to have you talk about that idea of, of how do we actually deepen our learning? How do we create the practices so that they can eventually become habits? Um, Yeah. Great. So, you know, traditionally, and what most of us can see this through the lens of how we were educated, you know, I think many people listening will relate to this and probably see it uh, in how learning occurs in their workplace. This idea of sit and get, right? That I just sit mm. in the chair and I just get the information and then I get up and leave, <laughs> right? Uh, so we want to push people because we do get inquiries where, you know, Sarah, I'm thinking of one that you say, and it always makes me smile. You know, we've had trust issues brewing for the last six years. What can you do in two hours to yeah. <laughs> really get the team back to back to a great place? Like, mm, some things have to be earned, right? Some mm. things take time and new ways of being. So when we think about orbital learning, we think about uh, this idea that for, you know, whatever it is you want to learn, they're going to be key ideas, skills, practices, uh, traps, and around that core body of knowledge for whatever we want to learn about, we're going to orbit it. We're going to go around and around and around because, uh, every time if you're, if you picture, you know, in your mind as you're listening, like a planet in orbit, every time the earth comes around the sun, it's different. Hmm. Right, the the sun, uh, the sun is there, shining bright, just like that core body of knowledge. Although in our case, um, we keep adding to that. Right, so if if when people come back for information, for learning, for those tune-ups, for those ongoing orbits, the core has evolved. Um, that's one thing I'm so excited about. Is we don't do canned static things in a vacuum. You know, it's always evolving to incorporate the new things we're experiencing, the new things we're reading, the new things uh, we're seeing other clients do successfully. So it's it's a gift for the learner, I think, to get an evolving experience. But when you think about the Earth orbiting around, 
um, with every pass, it's different. Every time our learners come around, they're seeing things deeper. They're seeing new perspectives. They're trying new practices. They're trying them over and over because the, the, I think the thing that people are always, it's always the, you know, often, I won't say always often it's human nature, right? We want a quick fix. We want to get Mm. it, move on. Um, just give me a new tool for my toolbox or a new app, as someone said uh, last week, which gave us a big smile. Just give me the new thing so I can put it in my toolbox. I can move on. But learning uh, doesn't necessarily work that way. Mm. We can do a lot with a core set of tools that we can use really well, right? It's just like in the kitchen. Do you need 700 ways to get juice out of a lemon or do you need maybe one or two that you're really, really good at? Um, So I think that those are key elements that make our process different, the emphasis on coming back. Um, I think more people we're talking to see the value in that or realize that's how learning's always been. Um, It relates really well when we think about how we learn things, even growing up that were very skills-based, whether that was sports or I'm thinking about your accordion, Sarah, Mm -hmm. now in adulthood or... um, yeah, instruments, anything, dance that requires just that repetition. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm coming back to the same group of skills over and over. I'm deepening them, right? Uh, that's that's where the magic happens. And and you know, our brain, our brain can't hold on to everything we give it. Mm-hmm. It, we, it we would just become bogged down. We wouldn't. We would just stall out, right? Like our brain is designed to hold on to what's most important and let the rest go. That's how we survive. So part of the beauty of the orbit is bringing to your brain's attention. I'm still working on this. This matters to me. I want to keep going here um, because the more indication we can give our brain that we want to keep doing something, the, the more it will hold on to the information we give it. Because like I said, I mean... This morning, goodness, there have probably been a hundred things that I've had to hold on to and forget already. You know, mm, <laughs> the location mm. of items that I needed to get out the door. Like, so we need to help our brain learn. Uh, this is important to me. I want to get better at. So I'm going to keep orbiting the same information. Uh, this matters to me. It's funny to think of your brain like you're talking to it, like it's not part of you. But there is a consciousness or uh you know, yeah, like a consciousness of, I want to be really aware of what I'm taking in and what's important and what I want to hold on to. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, in that point, because, you know, we, we see this a lot in our clients and I, you know, I certainly experienced this uh, in my previous world and work of, um, of, uh, you know, realizing that there is this this tendency, especially from an organizational learning perspective, to just keep introducing new topics. And, mm. and, and we'll hear this from people, too, like, well, we did a training on that already. And which means they've really only spent one day, half a day doing it, mm. right? There wasn't the repetition. And, you know, and I appreciate you bringing up about the when we look at things like 
building skill for mastery or building skills so we can be really proficient at whether that's sports or kinesthetic things like dance or, Mm -hmm. you know, in my case, the accordion, you know, my goal is not to play a song once. My goal is to play it so often that I have muscle memory that even if I mess up, I can like find my place in it. And when we think about the skills that are needed from a leadership perspective, from an effective Mm. relationship perspective, um, those it's the same principles. And and what's trickier, and, and we've talked about this, is that, you know, especially when we talk about building I don't know, skills related to communication and building powerful mm. relationships is you're not working in a vacuum with a partner who isn't also complicated and isn't also bringing, right? So <laughs> even if I'm practicing the skill of coaching, for example, and asking powerful questions, Every situation is different. Every person that I'm engaging with is coming to the table and they have a different experience and maybe they're not ready or willing or whatever mm. the case is. And so there's there's this real tendency to I, I, I feel like we see this a lot. There's this real tendency to overestimate our ability to not only retain information, but then to deliver it effectively, you know, in a muscle memory kind of way without actually doing the work. Um, and then I think that's a disservice to ourselves and to the people we're supporting. Yeah, absolutely. And something that was coming up for me as you're saying that is, and if the whole organization is operating that way, then you don't have a model by mm. which you uh, accurately assess where you're at. Mm. I mean, if everyone's just kind of uh, at that base level, then it seems it may seem like everybody's got it when maybe everyone has step one. Mm. instead of really embedded into your mind and your heart and the way you show up every day is this new way of being. Mm. Because when you think about learning, that's the bottom line of these meaningful things. It's a new way of being and doing. Mm. Mm. No, I love that. Like, like instead of just like, what am I going to do? Just who do I want to be? Mm-hmm. And connecting that, I think that's I think James Clear in his book Atomic Habits. He, he that's one of the things he he talks about is just instead of just focusing on what are my new habits, like who do I want to be, yeah. what's yeah. the identity, and then what what do I need to do to get there? What what are some of the common traps? I mean, we've already been talking about some of them, but what are some of the common traps that you see, whether it's in the work that we do, or just even when you're mm-hmm. working with students, or in your you know your former career? Um, that gets in the way of our ability to actually make the forward movement we say is so important to us. Yeah, a big one that we see, um, and I see this in learners of all ages, right? But when uh, I see this at work and we call it out, it always resonates with people. We always see a sly smile, I feel like, or like a little, whoop, they got me kind of <laughs> nod. But um, people who view themselves as high achieving expect to get it right the first time Mm. they expect to take all the information you've given them uh and like yep i've got it and so i i'm gonna get it right and i'm moving on and we're talking about things that are extremely complex you know somewhat abstract impossible to get quote right the first time or maybe you're lucky enough to get uh do a pretty good job in your first, in your first experience after uh, you're learning about showing up differently in conversations. Um, but transfer means when we t- think about teaching mm. for transfer, I can do it 
out of the sandbox, out of the safe classroom. Uh, it's not just the colleague that, you know, I'm, I'm laughing, I'm thinking about. It's easy to give, to stay in a conversation or give that feedback with someone who's highly reflective and like, yeah, I've been thinking about that. And, you know, I'm so glad you brought that up. And what a gift you've given me. And I'm going to move forward with, you know, transfer is in the hardest moments. Mm. And so if you go into it thinking, I'm going to get it right the first time, and then you don't, ugh. learners tell themselves stories like, I guess this just isn't for me. Mm. Uh, this isn't as practical and helpful as they said it was going to be. Mm. Mm. Um, because when we think about cognitive dissonance, if I, if I think I'm going to get it right the first time and I don't, either something's wrong with that or something's wrong with me, and my brain really doesn't want it to be me. <laughs> right, 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 right. And therefore, I'm going to like say, well, they didn't, yes. they didn't really teach yes. us clearly or it wasn't like, you know, yes. practical. I mean, that's always the thing that's always funny yes. to me a little bit when it's like, well, there wasn't really any like practical tools. And mm. it's like, oh, no, there were. They're just not easy. <laughs> And, and, um, and I think that there's a couple of thoughts that were coming up to me. I should have written them down, but, um, yeah, that, well, it, one of the, one of the stories that was coming up for me hearing you talk about just this idea of like expecting to get it right the first time, Mm. this was a couple of years back and I was working with a team and, you know, we, we, we needed to have some pretty tough conversations. And so I was just holding the container helping navigate, right? Like, how do we learn to sit with our discomfort? How do we offer up our perspectives or our needs? How do we listen to other people's needs? And, you know, expect non, you know, non-closure, all of that stuff. And, mm. and I'll, I'll never forget that afterwards, the trainer on the team, who, who's the person who does the trainings, like, you know, crucial conversations, she pulled me aside, she said, I gotta be honest, Sarah, like teaching this is so much easier than doing it. And it's like, yeah, it sure is. Sure is. Because when we're, you know, even, even, you mm. know, that's why, you know, when people are like, oh, we need to do role plays. And it's like, oh, it, yeah. It, yeah. And no role play is going to prepare you for what it feels like when somebody disagrees with you. No role play is going to prepare you for when you misspeak and you say something regrettable Mm. and the other person feels it. And you can tell that like, there's, there's just no amount of role play that's actually going to prepare you for that, but in doing it and in failing, right? Like, Mm. I mean, I feel like the the biggest lessons I've learned in, in my work of right trying to navigate my own avoidance is when I messed up and it was like, Oh, Mm. okay. And, and that was uncomfortable and that was hard, but I was just, I was, smiling a little bit thinking about, you know, that that situation. And it was like, yeah, giving information, telling people how to do something is very different than when the heat is turned on, when the risk is real, when there's consequences, when there could be mm. retaliation. That is not, it's not simple. You right. Know? Uh, but, it's, oh, I'm sorry. Go no, ahead. go ahead. Yeah. It may, when you were describing it that way, it made me think of um, teaching CPR, you know, there's mm. the act of standing there teaching CPR, and then there's doing CPR on your dummy. Mm-hmm. And then there's like a moment where maybe the stakes are very high and you're doing CPR and having the stamina, right, to stick with it, stay mm. grounded in, in your training and grounded in um, the to-dos and not to-dos, which I think are often, you know, that's something else we're pretty passionate about is 
people are so focused on things they want to do and less what they want to stop doing or shouldn't include in that. That's equally powerful, I think, um, in some situations. But, you know, as you were talking too, it made me think when I'm learning a new skill that's very complex and I'm thinking about back to Wiggins and McTy when I was really pushing myself in my teaching practice, I felt like I was learning to use a marionette, mm. you know, the puppet. And it felt like there were times I could get the leg moving, mm-hmm. you know, but the arms yeah. weren't going anywhere. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, you know, so it took a while to get like, okay, I can make the legs look like they're walking. Uh, now let me see if I can get the arms to like, it's so, it takes so much focus, you mm-hmm. know, and revision um, and, and reflection and attention to so many tiny things happening, you know, and it's fun because things that we're using as examples for the most part have been really observable, uh, outward skill-based kinesthetic things, but the part of our brain, uh, that's going to think about showing up in a difficult conversation or holding steady in the heat, speaking your truth, uh, even when it might be challenging, it's the same muscles that need to be mm. built, right? Mm. It's, it's the muscle memory to stay curious. It's muscle memory to um, keep asking questions through a lens of what is generative and forward thinking and um, focused more on a, a vision that will compel you forward instead of the anchors of the past, right? Mm. So mm. even though a lot of what we're describing are those physical tasks, it's the same mental work that needs to be done. Hmm. Yeah. And I want to I want to I want to echo or go back to that point you made earlier, just because I think that I think it's a really important practice is not just what do I need to add to my plate? What do I need to add to my skill set? But what do I need to let go of? Right. Hmm. And the only way we can identify that is a willingness to be courageous with ourselves to to do the work right, like in, in your world, in our world of immunity to change or to go, what what are we doing that's getting in the way? Like, and, and let's, mm-hmm. let's, let's, let's let go of that. And, um, um, so we can move forward. One of the, one of the, I feel like there's a couple of common myths that are out there about learners that are still really pervasive. <sighs> I mean, I've got sort of three that I want to talk through with you. Yeah. Um, right brain, left brain. Like I'm a right brain mm. person. I'm a left brain yeah. person. This one's still really pervasive. Thoughts? <laughs> yeah, thoughts. Yeah. Um I will say thoughts you know, dash grounded in modern understanding of the brain and MRI imaging and these kinds of things are everyone's using their whole brain. Mm-hmm. Do certain things come more naturally? Probably. Yeah, that's fair. Um sometimes uh, has it been easier to say, I just can't do that. I'm left brain. So please don't ask me to Mm. maybe, um, it's a real disservice to yourself and to other people in your life. If you have a limiting belief that you only operate in a certain way. Um, again, I'm not saying people aren't more inclined in some ways or others, but, but no, so, eh, sorry, yeah. <laughs> sorry, everybody. Right. You're, yeah. yeah, 
the, the brain lights up all the time. You know, creativity does. doesn't just live in the, the right side, or I don't even know what it is yet. That doesn't just live yes. in the, the right side. Yes. And it, analytics doesn't just live in the left side. And, and then right. I, and I, and I think that that point you make of like, and are you saying that because it's hard? And it's uncomfortable. And yeah, again, like there are some things that will just maybe be easier to someone else, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean that that's the only part of their brain they're using or it's just different and it might take you a different path to get there. I mean, I think about my my acting days. My teacher would always say there are just people who have a natural ability. It just means you have to work harder to catch up with. Sure. We'll be back with Dr. Teresa Peterson in a moment. Hello there, it's me, Sarah Noel Wilson. As you know, my colleagues and I are on a mission to make work more human. And one of the ways we do that is by increasing the quality of the conversations we have with each other and with ourselves. Because doing so helps us all increase impact, deepen our relationships, and be able to navigate change and conflict more effectively. It literally is game-changing when we change how we talk. And we're excited to bring you a powerful resource to help you do just that. Join us for the Power Talk series, Strategies for Impactful Conversations, a series of seven webinars held once a month beginning in March, led by our skilled experts. Each is only 30 minutes long and focused on actionable skills you can apply immediately. Because as we all know, theory is great, but tools are better. We also know you're busy, which is why you can join us live or you can view the recordings on your own time. And the best part, my friends, is that access to this entire series is only $229. That's right, seven months of focused development for only $229. You can go to our website, sarahnollwilson.com slash shop for more information about the dates, the topics, and to sign up today. Again, that is sarahnollwilson.com slash shop. We look forward to having more powerful conversations with you all. Um, okay, what about learning types when people say I'm an audio mm. learner or I'm a visual learner? What's what's your thoughts on that? True or false? <laughs> it's it's very similar to the first one. It's false. We learn best when all of our senses are engaged, right? When I think about planning experiences, um and it looks a little different in the work we do, although this is something I haven't brought in, but I, I do it automatically with, uh, with our work together. But when I would think about planning a lesson, so this is for anyone out there too who's facilitating a meeting, doing uh, any type of organizational learning, I would ask myself, in this given amount of time, am I providing opportunities for learners to read write, speak, view, Mm -hmm. and move related to this content, right? So now I, let's go back to the, the, well, kind of, Mm -hmm. you probably have a sense that, uh, feels more natural. You know, if you're, if you're like me and you take notes, I can remember on the page where, where certain things are, right? If I've written down my grocery list, uh, I can more easily hold on to what's on the list, even <laughs> even when I forget the list at home. Um, so you may have a sense that feels like it serves you better in learning, but the most 
engaging experiences that promote the deepest amount of learning engage all of your senses mm-hmm. um, in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, 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 and one thing that always comes up for me when I hear people say that is, one, it also depends on what you're learning. Right. Oh, yeah. I can I can read I can read a book on how to play the accordion. Like, you know, right. I can listen to somebody <laughs> tell me, but having all of that and then doing it is different than just, you know, and and I and it's still so pervasive. That's one that it's and and one thing that I want to bring up because this was an observation you made with a client uh, last year. Uh, because I know we know so many people are either working in a hybrid environment or they're working remotely is that idea of the impact of our senses on retention, and not mm. just from a learning perspective, but from um, uh, potentially a connection to, you know, like from a team, team dynamic, team building perspective, from building new memories. And, mm. and that is a real challenge that we have to be aware of in the world of remote or hybrid work. We are, when we're collaborating, largely sitting in the same seats, looking at the same view, which is different than maybe when we we're in the office and we, oh, oh yeah, right. We were in that room or we traveled to this location or, or, you know, whatever it might be, but that's you brought that's, brownies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. You know, my, <laughs> my old boss, Lisa would always be like, oh, and you were wearing that purple shirt with that like scarf. I'm like, of course you remember. But, but when our, <laughs> when our, when our visual surroundings basically don't change, mm. that can make it harder to retain what the hell, did, what, did we, what did we talk about and what happened? And because everything feels and looks the same. And so finding ways to engage, whether that's using tools like, you know, we use Mentimeter in our events, mm-hmm. but or, or like Miraboard or um you know, whatever that is for people to engage in different senses. That's why sometimes as silly as it might feel playing with, you know, fun backgrounds, because it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, right. Remember, you know, I'm thinking of our one client who, you know, his is in a star Star Wars ship. And it's like, I (laughs) remember those conversations because of, you know, when he's in there. So that's something to think about. Okay, what's your opinions on it takes 20 what is it? 20, 21 days to break a habit, 28 days to build it. I might be flipping it. But either way, it's wrong. Oh, it's called an X-wing. Thank you, Nick. Yes, he, he oh, was in a. Nick, yeah. Nick was coming on for clarification because he knew I didn't know what and, I was talking about. And bless Nick's heart because I don't know that Nick's been in a session where he's seen. Yeah, as you can see R two up there. I mean, yeah, it is yeah, really yeah. fantastic. Um, shout out 20- to the Star Wars <laughs> saga. Thanks, Nick. Uh, um, Twenty-eight days to build tw- break a habit. Yeah, I no. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. When we think about, gosh, where do I even start with this? There are habits. There are habits like programming the coffee maker before you go to bed Mm. that you can probably build in the matter of two or three nights because the payoff in the morning is so high, right? You're Mm. like, oh, I smell, I hear it. It's, you know, the get up, I smell it, I have it. Oh, it's so great. Just program it before you go to bed. Um, that is a very different type of habit to build than uh, holding steady in the heat of a tough conversation with colleagues you respect, mm. maybe colleagues you don't respect, right? Who you have some ongoing beef with that needs to be resolved. So it depends what kind of habit we're trying to build. I mean, I think habits what Costa and Calic would call habits of mind, you know, 
the openness, the flexibility, dwelling in possibility, the curiosity, goodness, we could work on those for a lifetime. Um, because to some extent, our brain likes black and white, mm. generally. Not everyone's brain all the time, but a lot of our brains most of the time. So when we think about training ourselves to open up um, instead of, uh, you know, okay, I'm thinking of a client we're working with now who um, says, I have great intuition. I like to trust my gut. It was black and white. And so the act of challenging herself to be open, curious, testing assumptions, that's way more challenging than mm-hmm. setting the coffee maker. You know, mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of precedent in my life for setting the coffee maker. I have probably 44 years of my life devoted to, <laughs> you know, black and white thinking, just as an sure, example yeah. or whatever. That's not so much my uh, the burr in my saddle, but you know what I'm saying. So the longer you've been operating in a certain way, the longer it's going to take to uh, start showing up differently to form mm. a new habit. So it kind mm. of depends what we're defining as a habit. And you know, the mm. other thing, and this is something that I'm really enjoying about uh, as I learn more about appreciative inquiry and complete the certification is humans are drawn toward things that are generative and life-giving. Mm. So if your new habit, we'll call it a habit, if the new way you want to show up is a vision that compels you, then changing what you're doing will often be much easier than saying, I have to start doing it this way because the team says I have to start doing it mm, this way, mm, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so it, I think the trap is less about the time period and more about what we call a habit versus uh, actual long-term behavior change. Yeah, it's a... And there may be things that even when you care about, you oh, might yes. not build the habit in, right? It's right. There may be things that even though you want to, you know, I, I do want to be healthy. And there's so much familiarity in behaviors that, that aren't. And, and I think that sometimes what can be difficult is, you know, you, you start and then you fall off the wagon and then you're like, well, I just oh, can't yeah. do it. Um, as you were talking, one thing that was coming up for me that I think is Im- also important for us to explore is this idea of, you know, like, uh, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, so to speak. But mm. the fact of the matter is we know that our we have that neuroplasticity. We are able mm-hmm. to create new patterns and new connections in our brain. It might it might be more difficult, but it's not impossible um, to be able to show up differently. I mean, sometimes that's something we'll hear from people like, eh, you know what, I'm just... I'm too old to change. Like, well, no, you can change. You're choosing not to. Mm-hmm. That's the difference. Right. Like, Yeah. I, you know, and that's a great, when we think about our brain and our brain operates on a confirmation bias. So uh, it's greens for information that supports what it already thinks is true. And so, mm-hmm. you know, 20 years from now, if I think, well, I've been doing it this way, this amount of time and all of my indicators say it's working, why would I bother to change? So sometimes it's that, uh, is it really serving me? Is there a better way that would be more compelling than what I do now? Mm. So sometimes I think the case for change, uh, because like you're saying, our brain is wired to learn throughout the life cycle, right? And so 
I think sometimes people get stuck in. I've got a lot of evidence to suggest that this is the way I'm doing it has been working for me. Yeah. And when we think about that confirmation bias, um, you know, and we can, we'll talk another day, I'm sure about immunity to change, but, um, you know, what am I, what assumptions are holding my current behaviors in place? Mm, mm. Yeah. That's a whole other, that's a whole other. Mm. Yeah, that, I mean, well, that, that'll that'll definitely be be a topic we'll we'll dig into. But I think it's an important one to to again be thinking about, and and also and also it points to the fact that again, from a standpoint of of learning, of unlearning, of building new habits, of right creating the mm-hmm. the muscle memory is mm-hmm. it it isn't just doing it; it's reflecting on it, and that's one of yeah. the things for anyone who's worked with us. Um, you know, we created what we call the model of perpetual learning, which is, you know, the way that we, whether it's as individuals or an organization, learn is through exploring and then we experiment and then we intentionally evolve through reflective questions like what what's what assumptions are am I holding on to that are getting in the way or what do I need to let go of or what do we say yes to? Um what one of the things that you know we know because we we see this is we we are headed we are in a time and I think we are heading into a time of pretty pretty extreme mental health challenges like mm. or high levels of stress right that prolonged ex- exposure to stress because of everything that we've been navigating and I and I think it's I mean it's important for us to talk about how stress impacts the brain. And so I'd love to hear hear your thoughts uh, as as people are thinking about that, because we know we're hearing things like people go, oh, I just can't retain like I used to, mm. or like my recall is really struggling. That's something I feel, you know, I, I, I lovingly call it my glitches, right? Like I, I'm forgetting names in a, a way that I just didn't before. And I can, I can just tell it's, I can tell my brain is different because of the last two years and, and working to give it, give it some grace of, well, this is, you know, mm-hmm. our brain wasn't set up for the amount of stress that we've been under collectively in a way that we haven't before. Yeah, that's an interesting point. And I think, you know, humans have certainly faced a lot of huge challenges of survival, but not at a time where they still need to show up mm. on Zoom meetings and, <laughs> you know, point. keep keep moving forward as though nothing is happening, you know, which is how a lot of people have felt. Mm. So, so it's interesting because the, the glitches, right. The, the neurological kind of disruption, uh, will likely fade when we feel safer, feel more connected to other people, but it is a watch out for humanity that when we're facing large scale stress, uh, that we don't pretend like it isn't happening mm. at work. You know, I think that's one one level. Yeah, when we think about learning uh, and we think about what most people would consider a goal of learning is that I understand what I'm what I'm taking in in a way that I can apply it, I can analyze uh, when to when to use it, when not to use it. Maybe I can evaluate or reflect on how well I've accomplished uh, the skills that I'm working on, and I can make adjustments accordingly. And that relies heavily on our prefrontal cortex, mm-hmm. right? The, the executive uh, of the brain. 
And so when I'm stressed, other areas of my brain, uh, especially chronic stress, other areas of my brain are in control by necessity, right? Mm -hmm. And Sarah, I always love when you talk about the amygdala, but it's making me think of, yeah, when I'm in a time where uh, my very existence may be threatened, Mm. right? Because Mm -hmm. of uh, a disease or any other number of global factors that I'm thinking about. Injustice, oppression, all of that. A hundred percent. That's gonna make learning at that high level more challenging. Mm. For me, uh, that makes a case for why, you know, if we weren't interested in going deep into one or two big things for our professional growth and even students of all ages, that would be a case for that. Mm. Strip away this leapfrogging of activity from one topic to the next and allow people to go deeper into one topic. And, you know, there's this other idea. Mm, this is making me think of a, there's a great TED talk. It's not new from Sal Khan, Khan Academy, K-A-H-N, Khan Academy. If you're not familiar, what a wealth of beauty in the world, Khan Academy. But um, we have to stop thinking about time as the constant and learning as the variable. Mm. And we need to flip that on its head. And so time becomes the variable and learning becomes the constant. So there may be people who... uh, because we're all wired differently and we are all in different places, right? Who are going to take to some new content, some new skills more quickly. Um, That's fine. And there may be people who need three times that amount of time Mm -hmm. and that's Mm -hmm. okay too. So as we think about learning under stress, not to mention just learning in general, but when we think about it through the lens of right now, um, we have to give much wider sense of time and how long we'll be, because the people who, got it early, can keep going deeper, deeper, deeper. They can mentor others. They can uh, potentially break off and start uh, applying it in a different way, right? I mean, there's plenty for those early uh, proficient or early master users to be doing while everyone gets where we want them to go. Because I think sometimes what companies do that undercuts the investment of time or money they're making in the training is moving on too quickly. Now you've sent the message, maybe it wasn't that important to begin with. You know, we're just Mm -hmm. moving on. Some people just didn't get it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's definitely something, that's definitely something I would like to see more of is uh, more time, Mm. more time for learning. Because there, well, sorry, I just thought about it. Because as we work with people in the position of planning organizational learning, what are we doing this year? What are we doing this year? What are we doing this year? Instead of, we're going to do this until, yeah, because it matters, mm-hmm. right? And if that mm-hmm. takes a year and a half. So, so some of that is throwing off the reins of uh, how we plan, you know, how we think about how it's supposed to go. I mean, do we want to have a sense? Well, sure, but it might take less time, but hint in today's world, it's going to take more time. Yeah. It's that's, I mean, and that is, it's such a common pattern. I mean, that's such a, and I get it. I get why it's, you know, we, we, sometimes I think we feel like we're accomplishing. It's, it's, I, I don't know that I've said it this way, but it can feel like we're accomplishing more when we're covering more topics. Yeah. When we're actually accomplishing less. Because right. nobody's actually embodying it. They're not 
you know, maybe some, you know, I always, I always lovingly say when people are like, hey, what can you do in two hours? And I'm like, we're not even planting seeds. We're just showing them what seeds could be planted. And some people, you know, to your point, there are times, there are times when I can sit through a, a, I don't know, a breakout session and it's like, they say one Mm -hmm. thing and I'm like fundamentally changed in that moment and I can't think it or unsee that. And then there are other times where it's, yeah, that's, I get that. That's important. And I'm struggling to apply it, right? Or I'm, I'm not prioritizing mm-hmm. it. And, you know, and then, gosh, Lord knows, there's so many times when, you know, you know something, and then you hear somebody else talk about it. Like, oh, right. Like, I forgot about that. You know, mm-hmm. I feel I feel that, like that that way anytime I'm talking with a fellow consultant or a speaker, and they bring up practices. I'm like, yeah, I learned that in my master's degree. Or, right, I forgot about that. And, um but but that idea of are we you know again what's our goal are we are we just introducing topics or are we actually creating a culture where we are learning the topics and learning the mm-hmm. practices and in, in embedding that into who we are and and it's becoming part of who we are and it isn't just a a word on the wall and um, mm. and again that's and it, and it's and it's also you know when I think about you know the repetition it takes. It means it's going to be boring sometimes, you know, when I mean, like, I'm going back to, you know, again, the accordion, although, although it's complicated, it's not nearly as complicated as having to show up in relationship or connection or collaboration with someone else. (laughs) But Every week, I'm getting mm. a new set of scales added, and and I, and I don't just stop. I'm just adding them, and I'm right, like, and I'm working them. And there are times when I'm, and it can be boring. And so I think that sometimes it can feel like it's not a good time investment because, well, we've already talked about that. You know, we see this even from like a diversity, equity, and inclusion. Well, we already mm. had a two-hour unconscious training bias there. Like, we're good. Mm. Like, mm, you're not. You checked a box. Like. That's not mm. the same as actually doing the work, and 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 I also I also understand the the challenges because we we live in a, a culture that is so productivity focused, so hustle focused, so right, like how do we keep doing more and more and more instead of how do we yes. do it better? And yes. and that's a real shift. I mean, I think the companies that that do that do it learning well are the ones who understand it takes. It takes time, and maybe that time looks differently. And to your point, I, I don't think I've ever heard you, um, you know, talk about that that idea of how do we shift from learning is the constant, but the time is the variable. I think that's really provocative, of just and and how do we give the time instead of like no, we've got to figure it out. It's got to be figured out right. right now, you know. Or we confuse, you know, like we always talk about, we confuse knowing something for doing it. Like, those aren't the mm-hmm. same things. No. What, um, you know, one thing that was coming up for me too is as a trap that we see is mm. that who who gets focused learning and who doesn't and also who doesn't think they need it, right? <laughs> so that like, that mm. it's, it's yes. fairly common that <laughs> mm-hmm. a leader, a CEO, an executive suite will say, we really value development for everyone but us. Right. Or... We value development, but only for people who are managers, and then like the rest of the population doesn't get it. What's possible, Teresa, when when we're able to create a learning culture, whether it's within our organizations or even for ourselves of 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 that idea of embracing, seeking, and being intentional about about learning? What's what like from your perspective? What's possible? 
What a great question. I mean, what isn't possible? Mm. You know, that's how I, that's how I'm seeing it. Something that's coming up for me as you're describing it is if it's, if it's mission critical that there is a skill, right? And we'll use, uh, we'll use conversations as one because that's so near and dear to our hearts, right? So if, if holding uh, more powerful conversations on a regular basis at the workplace is essential, uh, it will be most effective when you work through it as though it's essential for everyone, mm. not just for mm. some of the people, right? If that's an essential skill at company X, now people might be working on it in different ways, you know, that's something that I've been encouraged by and surprised me, quite frankly, because in education, we've had uh, personal learning plans uh, or, you know, individual professional development plans for uh, decades, you know, so maybe we're all working on assessment, but we teach completely different things. I'm a veteran teacher, you're a new teacher. And so the things we're working on related to it are different, but we're all working on the same hmm. big idea. And so I think what would be incredibly powerful is that people at those different levels of the organization are all working on the same thing. So maybe in different applications um, or people, you know, adults don't like to be broken into group by skills, by skill level that makes mm. them uncomfortable. But boy, what would be possible if we could, if we could, um, you know, we're, we're still working on these basic three, that's fine. Uh, Sarah, this group is working on more advanced conversation skills. And so they're going to uh, start doing X, Y, Z. And it makes people uncomfortable because it's a lot more moving parts. It's a lot of, you know, just logistics, time away, maybe more resources. But when you think about potentially untapped potential, untapped payoff of everyone showing up in a new way that's advancing the whole group. When you think about investment made in programs that aren't paying off if they're underutilized or incorrectly utilized. Uh, because as I read more about the great resignation and the future of work and what you know the, the workforce today and tomorrow are looking for, learning culture is very high on the list. People mm. don't want to be in a stagnant job with stagnant, you know, moving A to B, um, you know, wages, uh, benefits, those are great. Those are exciting. But what keeps people in is high sense of psychological safety and an ability to keep learning and growing. Mm. Yeah, it's that, you know, I mean, it's Daniel Pink in his, you know, kind of quintessential book, Drive, right? He he sums it up and the, the three parts of, of mastery, autonomy, and purpose, that that's, that's Absolutely. ultimately what people, what people want. And, and when I think about in, in truth, the organizations or the people we've worked with that I would describe as having a higher level of a learning culture or a learning mm. mindset, right? That curiosity mm-hmm. uh, tend to be more productive. They tend to be, and not productive just from an output perspective, but um, they cause less harm. <laughs> Mm. They are, uh, you know, that it isn't just that we're learning so that we can be productive, but it's, you know, we have a culture of curiosity because we all are worthy of it. And I think that that, you know, that's something that I've certainly seen, um, you know, prior to starting my my company and starting this company. And when I worked at, at ROG is, 
you know, when, when we would make investments in people in a really deep way and not just like, Hey, this is what you need to do for your role, but we just want to help you develop as a really great person. And if we can get you for two to three years, amazing. And if we can set you up for success to go somewhere else, amazing. Like what, what a partnership we have. I mean, that's, that's a way of showing people that I value you and I care. And when we talk about, right, like things mm. like the great resignation is people want to just know that they're valued. They want to know that, oh, that, yeah. that, that companies care about them. And, um, and, and making that investment, you know, we, we've found fairly consistently that when we've done work with teams over a period of time, so it wasn't just a one and done, wasn't just an event, not that there's anything wrong with those. Like we understand that sometimes that's like maybe where a company or a team needs to start. Maybe that's again where we plant some seeds. But consistently when 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 we've done work or we've seen companies who have done work over a longer period of time, right? Not only is the learning deeper, but mm-hmm. the value that people feel or the investment they feel in them is significant. And the appreciation that they have from the company that they gave them that space is quite profound and very consistent compared to say, oh, we did this two-hour thing and it just wasn't really practical. I completely agree. And something that came up for me while you were talking was this idea of a positive presupposition. Mm. And so we would see this in school. If I have a positive presupposition about families and kids, it would be that um, that they're going to show up uh, wanting to learn, right? Not wanting to cause a problem, mm. uh, but the parents are doing the best they can with the child they have, right? That we're going to give, today we would probably call it grace, you know, mm. or something mm. to that effect. But what you described and what I heard in a different way than I've thought about is the companies who are investing in the longer training or investing in, in learning experiences that people see they can apply in and out of work, that developing the whole person, those companies really are representing a positive presupposition mm. about the people who work there, mm. that they are learners, that they're worthy of developing, that their time should be valued. Um, that they have more to offer, right? More to give and receive, which is very different from coming of a place of uh, deficit thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, well, we're not good at this. We need to. We need to get better at it. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, what can you do to help us? Blah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that would be a good look in the mirror. That would be a good look mm. in the mirror for how we think about our team members, what they're capable of. Um, Because even in a time of exhaustion and burnout, uh, and while learning may take a different pace right now, which I think would be very appropriate, a very appropriate change, um, it doesn't mean it has to stop. And it doesn't mean that people don't want to learn, but they do need information at a different speed right Mm. now. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And probably they always did. I think we're just seeing, I think we're just seeing it with new eyes um, because people are more vocal about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, you know, as you were talking, it made me think of, right, like the policies that are for the 2% that might take advantage yes. of it instead of the policies right. for the 98 that would benefit from it. And, right. you know, and understanding like that, again, that's our brain going to, to a threat based response. And, um, you know, and one of the things I was also thinking about as you were, you know, as you were talking is, you know, for people who are maybe listening to this going, well, I don't know that I have control over like my organization or the learning. It's, 
you know, something that you can think about is uh, what does it look like for me to create a culture mm-hmm. of learning for myself and, 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 and to notice and to notice when might I throw up some defenses or when I might minimize mm-hmm. or discredit or dismiss, right? I'm a, I'm a big fan. Somebody once told me, you know, when you're reading a book, eat, eat the chicken, spit out the bone. Right. Mm. That it can be really easy to Mm. be like, oh, well, I already know all of this. And it's like Mm. there. Yeah, there's lots of topics I I know fairly intimately and I still am reading books on that or I'm still following people or I'm still going to attend because maybe they say it in a certain way or maybe they use language that I hadn't thought about. And so, like, maybe I'm not taking in this massive transformative information anymore, but but there's something that is calibrating. And and but that's also a choice we make to pull something, to pull something out of it. And you've mentioned this a couple of times. So I, I just want to um, pause on it in a second it, it, is this idea of transfer of learning, right? You, you just recently were talking about, and we talked about it early, is that we, again, from a retention perspective, when we can apply what we're learning to multiple areas of our lives, right? We say this even with, you know, we're working with leaders from a coaching mm-hmm. perspective, mm-hmm. Co- coaching skills are just really good conversation skills. Mm-hmm. And you can use that in your relationship with your children or your partner or your family or people that, I mean, or and or people you're working with. And so that's something too, as those of you who are listening and like, think about what are you learning and how do you apply it to multiple different situations? I mean, I know that even when I was learning my, my like going through my first coaching training, I basically was like any conversation. I was like, oh, I want to ask a better question, right? And, you know, one time my older cousin was like, look at you using those coaching skills. I'm like, I'm just trying, <laughs> like, I want it to be, I want it to be who I am. And I don't want to have to think consciously about it, but to to think about that. And I and I think, you know, for us, that's we know learning successful. One of the ways we measure it is when people are like, oh, I didn't realize I needed this at home. You know, I showed mm. up with my spouse or kids differently, or I realize I have to have a conversation with my family that I've been avoiding. And and that's really, really powerful. And and again, it requires us to to push against those limiting assumptions of when, where, and how, and why, right, we might learn something. Yeah, that was beautiful. And I I think one thing I noticed when you were talking about, you pick up a book and you think, I know this already. And then a great catch for the learner is, am I doing this Mm. already? Mm -hmm. Right? Because that is our default to say, like, I already know all this. Yeah, it might be in a file folder in your brain, but how often are you actually doing it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and doing it in a variety of, of moments, um, even when it's really hard? Mm. Yeah. Well, and that that speaks to the Dunning-Kruger effect, too, of like people who don't know as much about something overestimate yes. because they don't understand or know what mastery looks like or, or deep practice looks like, they they overestimate their skills in it. So so that's the another reason why it's important for us to continually be exploring and, and, and listening to voices and gathering insight. It's, you know, like I, I think about this with um, self-awareness. How, how many people have read emotional intelligence or who have read um, uh, strengths finders and are like, I'm really self like I'm self-aware and they describe it as a trait instead of an ongoing practice. And it's not to negate or minimize the insight that they've been given. But we but we know that, you know, it's like the, the studies, the consistent studies is that students who did 
poorly often overestimated how competent they were compared to mm. students who had done more research and were outperforming. They tended to question things because they had a better sense of what did excellence look like in this this field. And so, I mean, and that's why we're so passionate too about not only is it like, do I know it? Am I doing it? But that third step, you know, which gets into that immunity to change work is, and what am I doing that's actually getting in the way of me mm. being more effective with it. And, you know, so, so it's like, so, you know, if there's, if there's a place in your, you know, for people who are listening, like, oh, no, I know this, like, I want to push against you, like, and what don't you know? And what haven't you learned? And how, and again, that kind of that loving eat the chicken spit out the bone, right? Like, I, I might read a book that for me is, like, you know, everything is new and ripe and amazing. And Teresa might read it and go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that reinforces, she's orbiting it, right? That it validates it. And there may be something uh, just like one phrase or one practice, like, oh, I hadn't thought about it that way. And that's that's really powerful. Um, and so, you know, so the, I mean, I'm such a big proponent of when we think about learning is it's never done. You never know it all. Mm, yeah. You know? You just, you know what you know to this point and what you've practiced to this point. And there's so, there's just, especially when we're talking about humans and working with humans and being in relationship with humans, there's so much you're not going to know. Always, right? Like that's, and that's why the being chronically curious is so important is it's knowing that there's always going to be things you don't know about yourself, the other person and the situation. Mm, Absolutely. And, And even for people who felt pretty competent, pretty skilled working with humans and the standard uh, run-of-the-mill things that came up, mm-hmm. then you have a pandemic. Right. Then you have, I mean, insert any, any crises, personal or national, global, and people show up differently. Mm-hmm. You need to evolve your skills to meet the moment. We've talked to a lot of HR professionals who say, my job now is fundamentally different than it mm. was uh, two years ago, five years ago. Um, so yeah, the, the evolution mm-hmm. and humans are built for that. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're built to keep growing and changing, uh, as frustrating as that can be. To have right. To keep right. Growing and right. Yeah. Right. You're like, yeah. I just want to figure it out. I just want some certainty. Oh, don't we? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, Teresa, we are coming up on time. No doubt we could keep talking about this. And we know that you'll definitely be a part of future shows and we'll explore things. Uh, A question that we ask everyone, and I realized that I didn't prompt you. So I'll give you my thinking brain partner a chance to reflect Mm, before you respond. (laughs) Um, uh, What's a conversation you've had with yourself or with someone else that was transformative? Hmm. Yeah, there are a lot. One that's coming to mind, uh, I have a daughter. And uh, after I had two sons, I had a daughter. And so there were just different things I was aware of in parenting uh, boys and girls kind of out in the world, you know, things, different things. And I had a tough conversation with myself in a play area. (laughs) My daughter was maybe two. Hmm. And it was a, you know, you could just picture play area, <laughs> indoor play area. And this boy about the same age wanted to play with her. Hmm. And she just was doing her thing. She just wanted to do her thing. She was loving every minute of this rolling foam shapes. 
<laughs> and he kept touching her. He kept uh, wanting to play. He kept, then he'd kind of grab her and she didn't want to play. And I said out loud several times, it makes me feel a little misty because this was a defining moment for me as a parent, honestly. Mm. Uh, I said, he just wants to play. He just wants mm. to play. He just wants to play. And then it was like, something clicked in my brain that was, she said, no, mm. she doesn't want to play. Mm. What you want doesn't matter anymore. Mm. Mm. <laughs> she has spoken, right? Like she's yeah. spoken and I'm not going to send her messages that her no is meaningless. Mm. Uh, I don't want to reinforce for this little boy that her no is meaningless mm. and something it, that was a light, lightning fast. It was so painful to me. It, the thought that maybe I was perpetuating this idea. Uh, it was an instant game changer. And I mm. pulled her closer and I put my stop sign hand up and said, she said no. And that was it. And, and then he kind of came back and I said, she said no. And she meant it. You need to go play somewhere else. I wasn't rude to the little boy. He was a little yeah. boy. He's yeah, just yeah, learning. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't like, he it was wasn't malicious nature, mm -hmm. right? Which is mm -hmm. like, no, I want to play like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I, you know, growing up female, raising mm. a female, uh, I wanted her to know that that was okay, that she didn't need to, to do what he wanted her to do, that she could stand her ground. Uh, so that, that, was a, that was a conversation that changed me. Hmm. That's powerful. Thanks for sharing that. And Teresa. to the two-year-old boy oh, yeah. out there, I'm sure you're a lovely kid. It's not personal. <laughs> <laughs> it's not personal. It's just, it's just the way of life. You mm -hmm. know, just no means no. Mm -hmm. Better learn it now. <laughs> right, right. For people who are listening to this, Teresa, and who may want to connect with you, either, you know, to, to, to learn more about, about you and the work you do, or maybe to share with you some lessons that they've learned about learning along the way, Where's what's the best place for people to connect with you? Uh, absolutely through email, Teresa, T-E-R-E-S-A, at sarahnollwilson.com. I'm new to LinkedIn, so you can reach out and watch me fumble around with how to respond to you. I uh, would love to hear what you have to say in response to the show about learning what's worked for you, uh, about how you're passing the time until the new season of The Crown comes out. I mean, any of those things. <laughs> I, would love to, I would love to hear from you. Teresa, thank you so much for being part of our show today. Always a pleasure. Our guest this week has been Dr. Teresa Peterson. And, you know, there's a number of things I'm taking away, even though, you know, she and I talk all, every day and we explore these topics. There was a number of things that um, they just resonated differently or came up in a different way. You know, one, one is that idea that our brain just can't hold on to everything we give it. And I don't know about you all, but I give my brain a lot of things. And so to give 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 ourselves some grace and also to be really intentional about what do we want to hold on to that that's something that's really resonating for me. Um, and then that yeah, that idea of, of flipping it and realizing that the learning is the constant time is the variable and how do we create 
spaces, learning cultures in our workplace, and even for ourselves to honor the fact that everyone's going to learn things at a different rate. Um, so we want to hear from you. You can reach out to us at podcast at com or find me on social media where my DMs are always open. And we really, we want to hear from you. What resonated? What are you doing or thinking differently because of this show? Um, what questions do you have? You know, what topics would you like us to explore? So again, podcast at com. If you'd like to find out more about the work that we are doing and how we can help you or your team have conversations that matter, check us out at com. You can also pick up the copy of my latest book, Don't Feed the Elephant, wherever books are sold. And if you'd like to support the show, please consider becoming a patron. Visit patreon.com slash conversations on conversations, where not only will your financial support sustain this podcast and our amazing team that makes it possible, but you'll also get access to some pretty great benefits like swag and Patreon-only content and events. And if you haven't already please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. You can do so on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcast platforms. This helps us get the word out and continue bringing on amazing guests each week. So a big thank you to our incredible team who makes this podcast possible, to our producer, Nick Wilson, our sound editor, Drew Knoll, transcriptionist, Olivia Reiner, and marketing consultant, Caitlin Summit Nelson. And a final, final deep gratitude thank you to my colleague, my researcher uh, partner, my thinking buddy, my stepping into the heat together friend, Dr. Teresa Peterson. This has been Conversations on Conversations. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, when we can change the conversations we have with ourselves and others, we can change the world. So thank you all. Uh, Till next time, please make sure you rest and rehydrate and we'll talk again soon.